0: welcome welcome flight Soup friday podcast listeners i'm your host sam hafensteiner sitting next to me is our very own kenny ingram what's up kenny sam how are you doing i'm good man uh new face in town what uh we don't have shakes anymore everybody shakes finally left atc mobile after what you uh, eight, eight year hiatus i think eight so yeah like that's a that's an institution uh, he was a a bedrock of mobile i will say though luckily for you listeners out there the one and only brian hedges just got another full set of orders here at atc mobile so you'll be able to see his smiling face over as the comptroller uh until what another four years so he'll be here for a total of 10 maybe i, th- I think 12 12 12 years yeah has that ever been done maybe uh ed D up in atlantic city i hear he's been homesteading for yeah he's gonna make 20 years two units that's incredible. Oh, man. Anyways, everybody, uh, got a really great show ahead of us. We finally, uh, moving back to our old uh, podcast structure. So we got some, uh, some good stuff to talk about. All right. Got a lot of great stuff going on in the fleet right now. I'll start with our airplanes here at ATC Mobile, the 144. I uh, had, a, had a great case. I think they were just off of Tampa, Florida, there was a vessel taken on water. Um, they diverted a tugboat out there. The tugboat couldn't help, but they, they could re- relay radio comms. Uh, and then the Coast Guard, uh, I think there was a, probably one of the surface assets, maybe a FRC was on its way, wasn't there yet. So the crew, Brandon uh, De Cardenas, Clint Adams, and then in the back, Jeff Ludwig, Randy Aguirre, Sam Murphy, Hayden Krenn, and then the ODO was Amber Russell. But they flew out there, dropped a dewatering pump, were able to use the tugboat to get it on board, as well as a radio, uh, stabilize the situation and uh, ended up assisting the, the few lives that were on there. So nice work, guys.
1: Yeah, awesome job. Uh, I got one from North Bend. They're a uh, re- recent uh, echo transition air station and a little different than our regular wheelhouse uh, car ended up falling off of a highway down about a 300-yard uh, embankment. Uh, the crew goes out there, yeah. And they ended up hoisting the rescue swimmer down to the incident command post. There was a bunch of like uh, firefighters Firefighters and stuff down there. Yeah, yeah. So they did that. And then they went over to a logging road, landed to save some fuel while the uh, rescue swimmer hiked down to the person, stabilized the person. sounded like they had him in a spinal board, uh, prepped the patient. Hilo came back on scene, did a basket deployment to get a paramedic and then recovered the... uh, patient in a litter. Whoa. Yep. So they did that. And then the, um, rescue swimmer ended up hiking back up to the top and rode back with the ambulance while the Hilo, uh, flew about 14, 15 miles to another point where they, uh, connected up with a reach helicopter who brought them to, uh, a hospital so really cool case uh, Great yeah. job by everyone
0: Yeah that's awesome the uh, the crew uh, That was Lieutenant Bert Toon he's the aircraft Commander Lieutenant Connor Regan As the uh, co-pilot AMT-3 Darren Fernandez As the mech and AST-3 Chris Cordovas uh, so yeah Big hearty congrats to that North Bend crew great job um, Another Crazy shout out. Hopefully most of you have, have heard this on the news, but there was a 737, it was Transair 810, uh, crashed off of Barber's. They had an engine failure. It was a, um, a cargo plane, I believe. So just two pilots on board, but you can actually find the ATC uh, chatter online about it with uh, the, I think it's the Honolulu uh, tower controller helping out the, uh, the crew. It's it's fascinating, but they did launch a 65, um, an, an echo from Barbers Point, and uh, first our case for the uh, the crew on there. Who was on there? Gleb Borovak, um, Alex Mead. I don't have the other names. You you happen to remember? Yeah, those? I got them right here. Yeah. Uh,
1: Petty Officer uh, Allison Walsh, and the rescue swimmer was. Uh, Christopher Lynch.
0: Yeah, and I think that might have been the uh, flight mech. She was a prior flight mech here at ATC. I think it might have been her first case. But anyways, they went out um, and picked up one of the pilots out of the water as the tail of the aircraft was going down in the Pacific. Uh, And a small boat picked up the other pilot. So kudos to you guys. That's a really, really cool case. Nice work.
1: (laughs) All right. So this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the uh, Echo transition and and where we are as a a fleet with that. So um, we've already had a few air stations uh, transition over. So Houston, Miami, um, ATC, obviously, Port Angeles, Barber's Point, uh, North Bend, and now we're just starting HITRON right now. So they're going to start here in the beginning of August, and they'll go all the way through uh, pretty much the end of the year. And And then next- uh, How many pilots is that? I can't remember. I think there are like 42 pilots, I want to say. Yeah, that's a lot. I think they have nine or 10 aircraft out there. So it, it's going to be a, a pretty long, long time to get them through. And then let's see, next units after that is going to be Humboldt Bay, San Fran, Savannah, Detroit, and then Atlantic City, uh, at least that's on the docket. So uh, yeah, we're just going to take the rest of this episode and just talk about where we are with the Echo, good things about the Echo, things we don't like about the Echo.
0: Nice. Yeah, um, some other news from the fleet uh, for those... Uh, keeping track on it the puerto rico transition is still underway and it's almost complete they just had the 6570 depart uh, last friday and they only have 165 left and i think that their last 65 duty in uh, barinkin is uh, next week so um, pretty wild they've got 360s down there already one of them's a loner from clearwater Uh, and then and the next 60 i don't know exactly when that gets down there but Uh, End of an era for the 65 and uh, start of a a new period for the 60. It's pretty neat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Other things going on, the new instrument checkride card should be out to the fleet. Um, We reduced that down in accordance with the new 3710 India that came out. So one precision, two non-precision. The reason for doing the one precision and two non-precision is the Echo is required to do an approach with vertical guidance. So for GPS, Approaches, and that was a reason we went with three and three, um, both on the Delta and the Echoes, just to keep some uh, uniform across
0: the 65. So, a lot happening, and certainly more to come.
1: Right, listeners, uh, today on our special episode we got our very own resident ATC instructor pilots here, uh, Blake Morris, uh, recently Lieutenant Commander Blake Morris and Lieutenant Maggie Morgan with us. And like I said, we're just going to be uh, walking through the Echo. They're actually one of our first two uh, instructor pilots to get qualified in the Echo, so we're looking forward to hearing from them about what they think. Yeah, welcome to
0: the show guys, how's it going? Going good. good.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, we always like to start. Uh, I see we have a few uh, choice beverages around. So, um, what do you got? What are you guys uh, sipping on over there? And uh, yeah, just explain it for the crew here.
2: I have the uh, local Fairhope Amber.
0: Uh, is that a good one? Is that? It's pretty good. Eastern Shore, Mobile yeah, so. uh, area, Mobile, Alabama. Fairhope
2: Brewing Company in Fairhope, Alabama. So yeah.
0: Nice. What about you, Blake? I have a uh, Hi-Li, uh IPA.
3: One of my favorite IPAs, actually, kind of harder is, hitting. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, highlight. Oh, I always say
0: Jai ala. I think it's Jai Ala. <laughs> is it? J- I think it's Jai oh, That's common.
2: Highlight like the game.
0: It, it's common to misspell it and, and mispronounce it. Nice dude. That's a uh, that's a Florida brewing company, isn't it? it is yeah, Tampa right. Cigar City. Oh yeah. Well, I uh, what have you got, Sam. Uh, well, the mountains are blue uh, right now, so I'm I'm <laughs> going to sit back on this delicious Coors Light. Uh, you know, it's it's early in the day. I don't want to go too heavy in the IPAs. Uh, Awesome. Welcome, guys. Uh, you want to guys just start? Maggie, we'll start with you. Uh, give us a little background. Um, where are you from? Where have you been in the Coast Guard? Uh, favorite color? You know, that kind of stuff.
2: Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Clemens, North Carolina, just a little town outside of Winston-Salem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, grew up there. Actually started flying when I was in high school. Just, uh, I don't know, decided that that looked like that would be a cool job. Yeah. Started working on my private pilot's license, uh, a local Local flight school, um, was interested in flying in the military, decided I would go the commercial route, so just went to college at University of North Carolina, kept up with my uh, ratings in the summer, and uh, when I graduated, just did the the CFI thing, flew with the students in this little Cessna, you know, single engine. Nice. Not sketchy at all, but no. uh, had fun doing that, made it to a regional airline.
0: Where'd you fly out of for that one, for the CFI?
2: Uh, the same same place that I grew up learning to fly. So really? literally when I got done with my check ride for my CFI, I walked back in and she said, Oh, I have a student booked for you for eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I said, You don't even know if I passed a check ride yet or not. She's like, Well, I was pretty confident you passed a check ride, so you have a student tomorrow. That's I was like, I can't awesome. even go celebrate because oh I'm already God. already working. So wow. Yeah, you know, but that that works out to build your hours pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I was um Flying at the time, all the airlines were hiring like crazy. Yeah, back in two thousand six. So I got hired by ExpressJet Airlines, which no longer exists, (laughs) but uh, was a regional airline for Continental. Okay. And then United, and flew for them for almost six years.
0: Yeah. What? Where aircraft did you fly for them?
2: The mighty Embraer one forty five.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's 50 is that, that's all glass cockpit, isn't it? It is. Yeah, okay. I say yeah. nice. I'm like the worst at aviation. I have no idea what an Embraer <laughs> 145 <is. laughs>
2: It's the pointy, Sorry pointy listeners. nose jet.
3: All I know is it has like the tricycle wheel controls, like the little- It's like a bicycle handle. Yeah. Oh, okay. tricycle you roll yeah. around on as a kid. That's how you fly the plane. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: So it's actually a pretty fun uh, plane to fly, very capable, lots of uh, cool glass cockpit. Uh, it was fun, but it's, you know, kind of gets routine going from- Hub to hub, A to B, doing the commute kind of thing. A little bit burned out. The recession happened in 2008, kind of. I didn't get furloughed, but moved backwards. So it took a long time to look at upgrading to captain. And the whole time I was thinking, man, why didn't I join the Coast Guard? I could be flying helicopters right now, which looked pretty cool to fly. Mm -hmm. So I think I finally just, you know, bit the bullet and said, I'm going to apply to OCS, got picked up, and here I am now. Yeah. That's awesome. Out.
0: And you you went uh flight school straight out of OCS, right? Yeah. Or, or you okay, so you didn't go to boat and then what was your first tour at?
2: San Francisco. My I'm, I'm best it. first tour, as we're, you know.
0: All four of us were at San Francisco together, so good stuff. Our producer, he was at Humboldt, so that's that's unfortunate. But Yeah, Meg, nice. you ever miss the airline life?
2: Not not a lot. I do miss the benefits of traveling, so I don't regret going to the airlines first. I did do a lot of free traveling in, yeah. in six years, so flying first class all over the world has its benefits. So I do miss that part, but the commuting and no camaraderie—I kind of don't miss that. So, and the yeah. flying is not as exciting. So it's 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 easier, but you know, flying a helicopter is a lot better, and getting to interact with the crews—same crews on a daily basis—is nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what do you think one of your favorite places to travel was while you were with the airlines?
2: Uh, you mean for like vacation? Yeah, yeah. See. I had some some good trips to, to Europe and South America. Did you? So I like uh going to I went to Norway once for a week, visited some friends. Yeah. Beautiful country. Nice. So that was fun.
0: Well, welcome. Welcome to this episode. We're we're stoked to have you. And uh, this handsome devil sitting next to you is your husband, I, I understand. How's it going, Blake? It's going well. <laughs> you want
3: to give us some backstory for you too? Um, yeah, I uh, grew up in Durango, Colorado. Nice. Um, so I still don't know how I got into the Coast Guard. Or I'm like surprised what? you're not drinking the Coors Light over here. I know. It's <laughs> it's kind of what I grew up on. I think I nursed on that. Um but, yeah, I, I don't know how I got interested in the Coast Guard to this day. People ask, and I'm like, I'm not sure. It just happened. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I grew up there, and it was awesome. Um, growing up, my, riding mountain bikes and skiing and doing oh, yeah. all those fun Colorado activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, went to the Academy out of uh, high school in Colorado and graduated in 2011. Mm-hmm. From there, it was to uh, the Forward uh, 270 out of Portsmouth, Virginia. So two years on that made nice. me realized that maybe the boat thing like wasn't exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Uh-huh. Uh, it was still a good good experience um, for growth, you know, growing experience. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I went to D11 staff for just a little while, um, right after I applied, leaving the boat to flight school, got picked up right after I got to D11 and then left like about eight months later and then uh, went to flight school, San Francisco, best air station in the Coast Guard. Sure is. And then back to Mobile. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah did you know you always wanted to go aviation or how did that transpire
3: i had a pretty good idea that i wanted to do it um part of the going to the ship first was because i was like cheap i think i uh, i knew i had to get prk and at school they they made you pay for it out of pocket and i was like well i don't know if i can spend three or four thousand dollars you know when you're 20 years old that sounds like a ton of money so uh, i just waited till i went to the boat and got it done there and then applied so but it, it proved to me that flying was definitely what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I think it it makes uh, flight school a little bit easier too. Like if you're a JO on a 270 or a 210, you show up to flight school and you're like, yeah. So all I have to do is just learn this material that you've already printed out in front of me. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty easy. Got it.
3: You know. Yeah, I think going through as like an O3 as well. The last year was really nice too. It's like the. uh, you don't have to stand any of the the duties or anything like that. I'd always ask and they'd be like, no, nah, you, you don't worry about that. We have plenty of JGs. So it was kind of nice.
0: Yeah, that's sweet. Awesome. Well, let's let's jump into the meat and potatoes. You want to get started? You're the Echo pilot here, Kenny. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, let's just uh, kick it off. Like what, what's, what do you
1: think
3: is the best thing about the Echo that you guys have seen? Oh, I'm trying to think one specific thing. I mean, uh, the flight director. I think I, I like the flight director a lot. Yeah. The whole way that that's, laid out. Um, it's like the same, all the same AFCS, but just the way that it works, I enjoy uh, a lot more. I think it makes more sense than the Delta did. And there are fewer uh, pitfalls, I guess, with it. Um, so I really like the way that that integrates with the system. Once you learn how it works, it, I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. So is it kind of the same modes as the Delta? Are they different? How, what are some different Modes
3: similar in name for some of them, but the way the whole way that it works uh, from the basic aspect is different. As far as any altitude hold mode um, is all collective based now, so uh, no more like uh, the aircraft pitching up if you take out too much power on altitude hold mode. Um, so it's it's nice, and we can choose between rat out hold or a bar out hold. Even even in a hover, mm-hmm. you can switch over to like a bar out reference. Um, so thinking like doing vert surface cases, or if you're hoisting on a cruise ship or something like that, and you need the uh, flight director to help out, you can switch it over to bar
0: out, and that'll really hold your altitude a lot better. So, have you guys tried that? Uh, like over uh, land, and then you move over a tree or something, and it it stays the same altitude the whole time.
3: Yeah, it stays really close. It's actually surprising how how well it it keeps that altitude. You can kind of watch the rat out there. It'll fluctuate a little bit, but um, it's not a lot. Yeah,
2: still flies better than I would, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, George flies a lot better than me too. What about you, Maggie? What's, uh, what's and You don't have to give me your favorite. If you got like a top two or three?
2: Yeah, I think just overall, the amount of redundancy that's built in the system is awesome. You really have to lose several things before you start seeing some effects EP-wise. So a lot of the EPs are pretty benign, mm-hmm. or, or you have to pull multiple circuit breakers to make anything significant happen. And then having the SFI there is pretty cool. That little standby flight instrument, you know, it's its own little glass cockpit. So it's kind of a nice warm and fuzzy. If you lose all your electrical or both EGIs, you mm-hmm. still have, have that backup reference. So yeah. a lot of redundancy.
0: How long did it take you guys to uh, have your eyes trained and your hands trained to go to the button of whatever it might be that you need to push when something happens in the aircraft? Cause I figure that takes A decent amount of time especially when you have new screens in front of you not
2: so much the button but actually for ICS the ICS switch takes takes a while to not reach for oh yeah to use the foot switch instead and for the first six months I was flying both delta and echo so I was just screwing it up every single flight and getting it wrong yeah so now I've kind of gone back from the habit of reaching for the switch and I'm, I'm reaching for the foot foot switch instead of the hand switch
1: Nice, awesome. With yeah. the uh, the amount of redundancy built in, has there been, or have you seen a culture shift in how we train EPs or how we handle EPs?
2: Yeah, I think uh, a lot less circuit breaker pulling, just because you have to pull, like I said, more than one circuit breaker, and a lot of the EPs are seemingly more benign. So we've gotten rid of a lot of boldface, which is nice, and kind of simplified our red book so that whatever the EP title is, is what you read off the ICAST. So if you can read English, (laughs) you can get to that section in the red book. It says engine oil P that's your, your, your EP EP title. So it should be more straightforward and, you know, easier to pick up.
0: Yeah, you we've made a lot of dash one and red book edits, right? So I don't know if you guys know how many EPs boldface we have now. Is it dropped oh, down quite a bit? I think it's like yeah. 30,
3: thirty high thirties now versus like eighty something EPs that yeah. are boldface. So it's uh it's a lot better, and a lot of those are like a single line boldface item as well.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, I know I'm um, cracking up because uh, our podcast producer, Ryan, just told me that he can't find the, uh, the position light switch when he leaves the helicopter. So he's been leaving that thing on at night as he's walking out. So I'm sure there's some things that you probably forget. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think Kenny
3: mentioned to me one time actually that, uh, you, know, you know, like I feel comfortable flying this aircraft and I'm pretty good at like figuring out where stuff is um, on just a normal daily basis. But I think it, it takes a while. It takes like six months or a year before when you're in extremis that your eyes or your hands automatically go to the right place. Mm-hmm. They're still kind of trained. Um, those like caveman skills, I think, are still trained to go to maybe the wrong location. So you just have to think about stuff a little bit more. Um, I think once you're past that year mark, it's a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you recently just did Ryan Vande um uh, flight. How'd that go for him? Oh, it went well. He had a challenging
3: call flight. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun because I get to sit in the back and normally I'm very concerned about like course rules and making sure that folks are going the right direction and, and saying the right things. And I didn't have to worry that about that as much with Ryan. So I got to sit in the back and just kind of enjoy going around uh, thunderstorms and worrying about weather and all the traffic calls. And Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: So Maggie, how long have you been Echo Call?
2: Two years now.
3: Two years.
1: Yeah. So do you still consider yourself uh, a Delta pilot that knows how to fly the Echo
0: really well, or are you an Echo pilot now?
2: I think I'm full Echo now.
0: Full okay. Echo? Fully nice. Fully
2: sold. Don't want to fly the Delta again if I can help it.
0: Oh, man. It's still a great aircraft, though. I love it.
1: Yeah, I have a confession to make. I've been Echo qualified for, I think, 11 months now or so, and uh, we were doing a hoisting flight. I'm sitting in the left seat- and I was like, huh, where's where's the torque? And my eyes went to the right place, but I realized I was up the wrong MFD page. So I didn't have my like primary flight display up. And I just couldn't believe like, how long was I staring at the wrong information? Um, and so I, I'm still not hundred percent there. Um, and just, just like Blake was saying, anytime there's like a little bit of stress, uh, I feel that I have to really think about what I'm doing. So I don't revert back to, you know, Delta muscle memory stuff. So I'm, I'm with you, Blake yeah
0: yeah i i had a question for you blake because you're in the stand cube in the division um how it's a brand new dash one brand new dash four all this kind of stuff right how how should people be going through like getting updates back to us like what's the process for that if they see stuff that's not right
3: oh uh so the, uh, the official, the formal process is filling out uh, a CG847, which is a change request form. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, if you're out at the unit and you find something wrong, um, that's the way that we, you fill that out, have your ops boss sign it and then send it up our way. And mm-hmm. then we make a recommendation to Seven Eleven whether we think it, it warrants a change or not. Um, I'll tell you, there are a lot of little mistakes in it. It's the first version of the manual. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that we're already planning to clean up. And uh, if you're here for a course, um, when folks come in for P courses, or if you're here uh, for the three week transition course, uh, when people point stuff out to me, I'll try to make a note of it. And uh, that's a pretty informal process because I if I see something wrong, I can just put in the change request kind of automatically. Yeah. so I say, hey, if you're at home, fill out an eight forty seven. Um, if you're here, uh, feel free to just let me know. just tell you. And there is a there's a tracker on the um, ATC portal page now, so, yeah, that way it's a good thing too hopefully we've made a lot of the big substantive changes in that tracker uh-huh. um and that way you know it doesn't duplicate anything if somebody sees something wrong they can look at that and see if we're going to address it
0: or not we okay not yeah seen it yet. that's a good way of doing it that's awesome yeah so uh what about
1: uh performance charts i heard that uh coast guard has spent a little bit of money to try to update those
3: they did yeah we have been working with Navair for a while uh, it actually finished up um during covid uh the final process with Navair, and they what the charts are is they they took the old data. It was like 2006 flight data, um, but they applied new modeling to it. So um, all of their engine modeling changed. It's a little bit more accurate. And then the chart layouts are a lot better now. So we took that old data and we applied it to new charts. Um, and those are in the very final stages of being done. And that'll come out for both the Delta and the Echo at the same time. That'll be like a quick, once it's approved, it'll get dropped into, uh, our electronic documents and be available. That's right. awesome.
1: Awesome. Uh, so we talked earlier about the new check ride cars coming out. Um, so as part of that echo, you got to do a GPS to LNAV VNAV. Uh, what, what do those acronyms mean Maggie?
2: The D- DA LNAV VNAV DA.
1: Yeah. So What's your that? lateral,
2: lateral navigation and vertical navigation. So it allows you to do an RNAV approach with some vertical guidance uh, built in, so similar to what you would fly, like an ILS, where you have lateral and a vertical glide slope, but it's not considered a precision approach. But it just gives you another option for an approach to do into into airports. So I think both the LNAV VNAV DA and the LNAV VNAV MDA, which is what you would think of like your traditional non-precision approach, the old kind of dive and drive method. Mm-hmm. I think those will probably benefit some of the air stations that we have that don't have a lot of traditional nav aids and approaches available. So might give some of those units some options to do more varied approaches for check rods or for SAR cases. And yeah, so should it be good for them.
0: Yeah, I feel like, uh, I mean, it's a little bit too late now with Puerto Rico switching to 60s, but they used to have to go over to um, San Juan to get all their approaches in. They could get maybe one, but there are GPS approaches to, to the airport that they're at over there in Brinkin. So um, do you guys find yourself liking GPS better than... ILS localizers, tack hands. You would you like rather oh, yeah. shoot those? Yeah. yeah, so easy. Super, super easy. Yeah, I mean, it just you put, you just push a button, right? And the, I don't know how their CDU works, but what do you push you a button load, to look You load it, up? it
2: into the CDU. When you load it into the CDU, it brings in the whole approach. So from the initial approach fix all the way through the missed approach procedures, loads the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You could fly the whole thing um, on the flight director if you wanted to, which is really nice.
1: Nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the wave of the future, right? I remember Definitely. being in, in San Fran, you would see, you know, ILS, no doubt, ILS, no doubt, ILS, no doubt. And I remember we asked them about it and they're like, yeah, these are getting expensive to maintain because guess what? The whole civilian world is going GPS everything. And some of these GPS approaches, you know, are getting you down almost to ILS mins.
2: And they're really, really smooth when you fly them on the flight director, you know, no more kind of uh, chasing the yeah. lateral navigation on on a VOR, I'm sure we've all seen that kind of like the drunken sailor down the final approach fix that doesn't happen.
0: No, yeah, that's wild. Um, Do you guys think that the echo transition was easy, difficult Uh, when you guys like remembering back to when you actually went through it? What was the easiest part, toughest part?
2: It was definitely challenging. I went through with Ian Groom and we were the very first of the division to go through. So we were the beta test. So that was a little challenging because we were still trying to—they're still trying to figure out, you know, will this work as a three-week course? Is this too much material? Too little? Um, so there's definitely felt like a fire hose, and I think we've edited a lot to kind of just pinpoint what do we really need to come out of this two and a half or three-week course knowing. Uh, so it's definitely improved since then. So it was just a bit of a challenge because I don't think I was expecting how much new material it would be because I'm like, it's still a 65, mm-hmm. what more is there gen- than just flying a couple of GPS approaches and learning some new modes? But there's quite a bit of difference with the checklists and the EPs and CDU operations that were challenging. So
1: with uh, Hitron coming up, you think, hey, I'm I'm heading in for my Echo transition here in two weeks. Is there any preparation you think they could do to get ahead?
3: No, I don't think they have to. Uh, the course is designed to show up on, you know, on day one without having looked at anything. Yeah. I, I think if folks want to, that's that's totally fine, but um, by no means required. Uh, it, the learning curve, I think like the first week and a half or so is pretty steep. Um, I you see people kind of walk out of classes like wide eyed, like, oh my gosh. And then by the time they leave the course, it, it seems like most people are pretty confident with, it, you know, at least the basics of how the systems work. So yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I wish I had the course that we're teaching now. You know, I think it'd be it'd be a lot better. I'd probably be further along when we when we first started. Yeah. It took a while, a couple months of really struggling in the plane to kind of uh, figure out how everything worked.
0: Yeah, it gets interesting to to think about that we're transitioning the fleet, but at the same time, we've transitioned about maybe a half to a little bit over half of our own pilots here at ATC to Echo. Like Ryan just went through the Echo transition, so he went through the same three week course, and now he's expected to teach it. But he probably needs some experience beforehand. So it's it definitely like we're all going through this together. Um, and I I was curious does do we offer any help to units or what are we doing to help new units that have gone through this transition? Yeah, so we're
3: offering instead of like a stand visit, um, an assist visit is what we're calling it um, to come out and just visit the unit and fly with people and and help. Basically, we're there to just. Help with what they need and to, to pass on some information and techniques that we have um, and also to get feedback from them because you know it's mobile unless we get diverted for something or we're doing a hurricane response, uh, we're really not doing SAR. So there's gonna be a lot of stuff that we can pick up I think too. Uh, so we're, we're offering assist visits as well. Um, some units are opting for just a, a normal stand visit um, or just not a visit altogether, but uh, that's the point
0: of the assist. Nice, you guys are going on one soon? Right,
2: North Bend, yeah.
0: As a yeah, couple, it's a boondoggle. <laughs> I, I think, I'm think it's surprised. a first from ATC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised
3: that the, the everything got approved and we're like, okay, this sounds awesome. So we get to go to
0: North Bend for a week and fly and just hang out. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'd love to get into this if if you guys are good with it. But obviously, the two of you are married. Uh, you've been stationed together now at your second air station. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that's been maybe from the detailing process to um, standing duty at an air station together, you know, on different schedules, you know, with the hardships of the, and the benefits of being able to do that? I think yeah, so. Sure. Yeah. You want to start, <laughs> Maggie?
2: Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, well, so when we met, Blake was at, at D11, Ports and Watersways Management. So I spent the first year and a half while I was in San Francisco doing the long distance relationship. Um, when he got stationed out in San Francisco, it was great finally you know, being stationed together, but that brought its own own challenges once we're both standing duty.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And San Francisco at the time, as you both know, it was very uh, dynamic because we were standing up Magoo. So we were standing duty in San Francisco and doing two-week Magoo deployments. So that was a bit challenging. We were able to work it out where we could overlap in Magoo for a week at a time, so I'd go for two weeks, and then Blake would go the next week, so we'd have like a week in Magoo, kind of at the same time. Uh, but that was definitely definitely a challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's been been nice to be in Mobile, where we kind of have a more normal schedule. So we we love it here because we have Monday through Friday. So even if we high five each other on night flights and day day schedules, we still know we have our weekends and holidays kind of together.
3: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, th- I think our commands have been really supportive and st- mm-hmm. and everything too. So yeah. been able to work stuff out. Uh, the last year in San Fran was tough. I think we we looked at it and we were apart like TAD or for some other reason like thirty seven weeks out of the out of the fifty two week year, and that wasn't counting like uh, high fiving on duty. So that last year was a little bit tough, but uh, wow, you know, just make it work. So yeah,
1: yeah. So you guys have a few. Animals at the house. Who's taking care of the animals while you guys are standing duty?
2: There's a lot of good apps online right now, <laughs> but like Rover.com, and you just find, you know, people to watch to pet sit. It's a good good job for you know teenagers or college students that are looking to make make some money. So we were fortunate that we've had a, a couple of really good pet sitters that are able to watch them. There's a market
3: them. for uh, for horse Rover. I, I just came up with that, I think. Yeah, I think I think you can make that work. Yeah, yeah horse rover. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to call it
0: something different, like <laughs> neighbor or something like that. <laughs> there we go. That's my idea, trademarked. Yeah, trademarked. I like that. I mean, we know you guys really well. And, and uh, what I like about the two of you a lot is you have a great uh, work-life balance and you're really into hobbies. Um, and I understand that the two of you own a helicopter, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the hat?
2: It's not airworthy just to start off with. So. Okay, okay. It's just the fuselage.
3: Okay, what kind of helicopter you guys have? Uh, it's a 1979 uh, SA-330J uh, Puma uh, an Airbus, or it was Sud, and then Eurocopter, and then I think something else, and then Airbus. So we're sticking with the Airbus family, I guess, on this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, no kids, right? So we have lots of hobbies, horses, uh, a helicopter, lots of pets, lots of pets. Cool. Yeah. Wait. Uh, So,
1: so why do you own a helicopter?
0: Without
3: (laughs) that's a good question. (laughs) Engines and stuff. (laughs) Um, I uh, I wish I had like a great story as to how this happened, but I I just like looking at old cars and stuff. And I was on like Facebook Marketplace just browsing around one day, and I saw some guy in Crestview, Florida had a helicopter for sale and I, uh, just decided it, I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And, uh, went about my day, you know, turned it off and, um, started thinking like, man, I wonder what you could do with that. And then, oh, somebody could make something out of that. And like, I could make something out of that. Oh, a camper, that would be cool. (laughs) And so it just spiraled out of control. And then uh, the thing that really surprised me was the going to talk to Maggie. And I, I was very nervous, kind of, Approaching her with my phone like hey, I have this idea honey. Uh, do you? (laughs) you, (laughs) What do you think about me buying a helicopter?
0: And I I had a full reaction
2: (laughs) Well, blake's always been into projects and he's always fully completed projects and they've been successful So I have full faith in his ability to take on something that's reasonable and not over his head Was the first thing I was thinking like yeah I think he could probably take on a project of this capacity And then the other thing that I was thinking was, if he spends a lot of money on this hobby, that's just more power for me to spend money on my hobby. So there's a little bit of a two-part there. But I did think that it was a very cool project. When he came to me, he said, hey, I saw this fuselage. I think it looks kind of like an Airstream shape, and I think I could make it into a camper. And I said, wow, if you could pull that off, that would be really cool. The only thing I want, my one request... Is I want it if it's a camper, I want to sit and drink my coffee in the morning in the cockpit, looking out the windows. <laughs> That's my one request.
0: Is that, that going to happen? <clears throat>
3: it's going to happen. It is. Yeah, the cockpits basically it's going to stay pretty much the way it is. I'll add some uh, swivel chairs in there, um, and we're just going to put our coffee up on the map holder on the instrument panel, and that'll be it. So it,
1: it blows my mind that you're just like
3: you just see a helicopter
1: on Facebook Marketplace, and you're like, I'm just going to make a helicopter camper out of this thing.
3: That's That's crazy. I was just very happy to have a very supportive spouse that Maggie actually said yes. We did
2: consult some friends because the major thing that he had to figure out was building a trailer frame for it because it doesn't have its own set of wheels anymore. And so you need to pull it like some sort of bumper pull and he's never really built a trailer frame. So we did have to consult uh, a friend of ours who actually shoes the horses. He's a blacksmith and has a welding shop Mm -hmm. and say, hey, we have this project idea. Is this feasible? And he said, yeah, that'd be an easy trailer to build. So we said, all right, well, now we really think we can do this.
0: Is it it on the trailer now? Sorry, Kenny. No, I was just going to say like, what was
1: the guy like that you bought this helicopter from?
3: He's an interesting character. He's uh, from, or he works in Pensacola, has like a a hydraulic servicing company for aircraft in Pensacola and contracts with the Navy. Um, And then he uh, just as a hobby turns aircraft into artificial reefs and I don't know what his source it like where he actually gets these fuselages from, um, but he picks them up from some friend down in Florida and then basically strips them out and sells them to like resorts as an artificial reef. Um, and this one he had, he wanted to make it into an ice cream truck. And just kind of ran out of time and resources and he just had too much stuff on his plate. So,
1: Because I'm imagining like a total redneck, but he sounds like a pretty legit dude.
3: Oh yeah, he, he was in the Navy uh, or man, I think it was actually the Air Force. I think he was a mechanic in the Air Force for years. So I don't think he retired, but he did that for a long time and then uh, does the helicopter, the hydraulic servicing company in Pensacola now. So okay. definitely, yeah, an aviation enthusiast.
1: What's the, did, did he have any history on the airframe specific one that you bought? Like what? Where so, did it go? What has it done?
3: Um, so he knew that it was a Blackwater aircraft, um, that it had flown in like Afghanistan. Oh boy, um, so sh-
1: shady stuff, probably. Yeah, I don't
3: really, I didn't find any like <laughs> yeah, appendages or anything left over in the plane. Luckily, it was, it was pretty clean. But uh, yeah, luckily uh, that was easy. He um, knew the Blackwater thing and then just knew that he had bought it from a friend and it had been sold like at an auction in, in Florida. And then I was able to look up the serial number and find like a German news article. Um, I think it was from the early 2000s. And it was about how Blackwater bought these aircraft and they were uh, uh, three Pumas that were German uh, military police. And then they bought them and said, uh, hey, Germany, we're taking these to Afghanistan. And Germany's like, "Uh, what are you doing with them? No, you're not taking them to Afghanistan. And uh, the story, the way the news article sounded was that they basically got smuggled out of Germany like in the middle of the night uh, without permission. Whoa. Flown through a couple other countries and then ended up in Afghanistan. So they had purchased the aircraft, but maybe you didn't have strict permission to take them out of the country. So yeah, Germany, if you want your aircraft back, I'm
0: sorry, it's too late. <laughs> they you can, they can take it. it back with it when
2: yeah. they go, come get the Eagle too.
0: Oh yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. awesome. Uh, for our listeners if they're interested in seeing pictures of this how would you guys have some pictures right yeah we we have an instagram as well yeah what's your instagram handle
2: it's helicamper underscore rv
0: okay helicamper underscore rv so anybody who's interested in seeing it it i've looked at these pictures often and and it's impressive what the two of these are two these people are doing
2: mostly blake
0: yeah mostly blake um yeah, Maggie, you want to talk a little bit about the importance of having a life outside of uh, of flying and, and working active duty?
2: Yeah, I think it's a huge benefit to have something in your life that you can do away from maybe not just aviation. because maybe that is your hobby too. We have several friends that have GA aircraft that they fly
0: mm-hmm. and that's
2: fun too. But just something away from work that kind of gives you um, a place to go to kind of... Yeah, you know, get away from it all. And so I'm really thankful that here we have a couple of really good hobbies and we've made a lot of close friends in mobile uh, that are not in the coast guard, which I think is pretty important because especially when you're married to another coastie, it's really easy to come home from work every day and just vent to each other about work. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of feeds on itself. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice to have hobbies that you get away and you talk about something that's not coast guard related or not aviation related and so I think that's been a good thing for us here.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. That balance I think is really important, and I think you can lose it too, um, especially when you're hustling at work. And, and you definitely, know, that's what you think the most important thing is.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that it's cyclical, right? Like you're you're in the military. There's going to be times where you're going to have to surge and do some stuff, but I think you need to recognize when you're getting a little burnout, and and hopefully the op tempo allows you to go do do whatever it is that you need to do to go kind of reset. Reset your
0: battery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys I got anything else about the echo about life you want to share?
1: Uh, Maggie didn't want really to talk about what, what your hobby. You said riding horses. Like what, what does that entail? Like how involved are you with that and what to get very, out of that? Very,
0: <laughs>
2: very involved. As involved as Blake is with the helicamper, I'm equally as involved with the the horseback riding. So I've always ridden horses. I took a pretty long break. Just with career, kind of, you were talking about the op tempo, you know, when you're at your first tour and you're trying to make Aircraft Commander and you're constantly in syllabi, I kind of focused on that. Once I made Aircraft Commander, I felt comfortable enough to maybe take on a hobby. And so I started riding again when I was in San Francisco and then have done even more so here in Mobile just because we live five minutes from the barn. And like I said, with a nice schedule here, we can go to horse shows and uh, ended up buying a trailer. That was Blake's first project working on. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been really fortunate here and the command has been super supportive of, uh, my equestrian hobby.
0: Well, I mean, it's not as much a hobby. Didn't you, uh, weren't you like one of the runners up for athlete of the year? I mean, you, you spent a lot of time doing it.
2: I do spend a lot of time doing that.
0: <laughs> the yes, runner up, I think. The runner up. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome.
2: That, that, that's true. It is, it is a lot of fun. And like I said, we've made a lot of friends doing that and, uh, yeah, we just had a, had a lot of fun getting, getting kind of away from mobile on the weekends and camping out at the horse shows and taking the dogs with us. Yeah. It's been great.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I think we're probably pretty close to wrapping it up here, but just one more, we always like to finish out with like a parting shot. Um, so something that you guys have advice to, whether it's echo related or not, but advice to fleet pilots
0: or advice that you've gotten in the past that have stuck with you, whether it was in the military or out of the military in your aviation career beforehand, Maggie.
2: Yeah. I don't think it's echo specific, but, um, Definitely, I feel fortunate at the first tour in San Francisco to kind of take all the opportunities that were given to me as far as going different places to fly. So I did several requests for forces. And, uh, you know, if you have ferry flights, AHARs, hats, all those things that can kind of expand your aviation bubble are great. You know, I did a shipboard deployment. And so I never regretted doing one of those. So Mm -hmm. I, I would just encourage, especially new pilots to jump on those. I know you both have done a lot of those too. And it's just really cool to see new unit, different AOR, how things are kind of run. uh, Because I think sometimes, especially at your first unit, you kind of get stuck and you think that's how every single unit runs or you just kind of get comfortable in your AOR. So it kind of gets you out of your comfort zone a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And that's what I tell these, you know, young T-coursers that are graduating of like, you should be the person that volunteers for anything. Cause just like you were talking about the only way to gain experience is to get experience. And you don't do that unless you throw your name in the hat and say, I'll go do that ship shipboard deployment. I'll go do that RFF and go stand some duty in Traverse city or whatever it is. So yeah, that's great. Like, what about, what about you?
3: Oh man, I was gonna, I feel like I was going to say the same thing. That was too good. Um, no, uh, I think for me, um, you're always learning. Uh, I think the Echo taught me that, like right about the time that I felt pretty comfortable in the Delta, it was like, okay, now we're switching over to the Echo and it's a new thing. Um, so just be ready to learn. And um, I think being humble too, as a pilot, like we're all type A uh, personalities, but, um, and I struggle, I like to be right. Like I like to know things mm-hmm. um, and I have to like step back sometimes and just allow myself to go like, no, that's totally wrong. And like somebody else, knew something and, and that's okay but you know just be ready to, to be wrong
0: and, and admit it and move on and, and learn Yeah, know? I like that I mean I feel like that has broader uh, outside of the aviation and, and military as well it's just being humble is a really good way to be a, be a good person awesome well Kenny I don't got any other questions you got anything else no sir all right uh, thank you both to both of you so much for uh, doing this with us this was awesome to get to chat with you oh yeah, yeah of thanks course thanks for having us it was fun yeah all right safe flying Oh,